Good morning, Redemption Tempe. Feel free to return to your seats. I want to welcome you here this morning to our corporate time of worship. It is good for us to be together in this fourth week of our Advent season to worship Jesus, to celebrate the coming of our King who walked among us. My name is Jim Mullins. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to just share a few announcements with you. The first announcement that I have is that next week we will only have morning services for Sunday. So that's 9 a.m. and 10.45. So if you figured it out this morning, then you're good to go for next week because it's going to be the same deal. Only morning services for December 29th, which is next Sunday. Uh, the second thing is also a service time. It's our Christmas Eve services. We do Christmas Eve services here, and it's uh, really one of the unique times of the year. Um, we get to uh, come here in the evening at 5 p.m. and 11 p.m. So if you're like a crazy party person who likes to sing to Jesus, 11 p.m. is your service. So um, 5 p.m. and 11 p.m. Ricardo is going to be looking at one verse. The verse that you often see on signs at football games, John 3.16 often gets overlooked because we hear it so much, but Ricardo's gonna take some time to look at that verse and tell the true story of the whole world in one verse. It's gonna be a good night, a good night to invite family and friends, people who might not know Jesus and have questions. It'll be a good time to invite them. We'll have uh, some hot chocolate and some different types of refreshments outside, 5 p.m. and 11 p.m on Christmas Eve. Um, and finally, I want to remind us of the Advent offering. This is the day. This is the day where we get to take our Advent offering and participate in this, this offering that we do every year, which is all about celebrating the generosity of God through generosity. So every year, we take a big offering on this day so that we can just give it away to the needs and opportunities within our city. This year, we have a goal of raising $25,000, and we want to give it to three different organizations slash opportunities. The first one is China. There are people in the world, and specifically in this region of China uh, called Tibet, where people don't know, they maybe they haven't heard of Jesus. They don't celebrate Christmas because they've never heard about Christ. And so we get to partner with Chinese church planters to bring the gospel to places that it has not been heard yet. We also get to partner with the Rio Vista Center. The Rio Vista Center who walks with and cares for those who are struggling and poor and who are hungry within our city. They're starting a new location here in Tempe, and we get to be a part of helping them get that off the ground. And then the third thing that this Advent offering goes to is the adoption fund. We live in a city that really is in crisis with many children who don't have homes to live in, and we as a church get to participate in what God is doing, the father to the fatherless, in helping them find homes. And as a church, we're praying that many people would be raised up to adopt kids. And then we're also, with our Advent offering, going to contribute to the fund to help support them. So that's what we get to do. China, Rio Vista Center, adoption, our Advent offering. 
Let's stand together so that we can pray for this and pray that God would bless us and allow us to be a part of it. So would you stand with me? I'm going to lead us in prayer. God, we thank you. We thank you that as a church that you allow us to join you in the good work you're doing. We know that you do not need us, but you give us the opportunity to enter into your good work. We mourn the fact that there are places in the world where people have not heard of Jesus. And so we pray for Tibet that they would hear the good news and that you would bless our partnership with churches in China. We, we mourn the fact that there are people who on this day are walking around our streets hungry and, and uh, in need and don't have a place to, to lay their head. And we pray that you would bless them through Rio Vista Center. And we pray for the many children who don't have a home that you would allow us to participate in your work. You are the great father to the fatherless who gave us your son. And we pray in his name, amen. Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Today's reading is from Colossians chapter 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. And then we will celebrate. We will dance in light. Dance in newness of recreation. Dance in day. Bright, sure, true. We will feast. We will eat well with one another. We will celebrate. We will dance in light. A syncopated tempo outside of time. Voices chorused like symphonies sonnets and comets, a reenacted give and take, joys resounding in harmony with and for one another, new creation reverberating down chambers of hearts once acquainted with hurt, broken beneath the weightiness of ruptured rhythms and thorns and toils and burdened shoulders and a distant sense of funerals, no longer, then we will dance in light. Through the recreated garden, this cityscape of grace, hearts will race with and in his recreated reality. He with me, dwelling in the truth Emmanuel, God with us. Creator, in creation, dwelling with man. There, that is where we will dwell and we will dance and we will feast and we will celebrate. No distant sense of funerals at this wedding banquet. A quick survey and a right pronouncement, it is good, it is very good, the groom will speak of his bride. Hearts, enamored and bandaged by the Savior's Son, born in blood, beating that day with blessed assurance. Adopted, married in covenant, 
counted as family, as sons and as daughters, burdens and barriers checked at the gate, and we will dance in light. Easy steps, light steps, known only to the well-worn from years of use, now rested and unburdened, steps eternal. The weight no longer felt there that day, the lightness of life in Him, deep breaths of release and worship and praise, and free movements unrestricted by the cringes of pain and fear. Only love, love and beauty and resounding joy and feasting and celebrating and we will dance in light, dwelling with the divine, God with us throughout all time. Behold, they make all things new. Father, Son, Spirit, with and in the midst of this recreated cityscape of grace, adored by all the voices of His redeemed human race, He rules the world in truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and the wonders of His love and the wonders of His love. We will dance with Him through the wonders of His love. All right. Hey, it's good to see you all. I want to welcome you guys all here. If this is your first time here, my name is Ricardo Stewart, and I'm one of the pastors here. Glad you can join us. We are at the end of our series, um, Advent series that we've been having, The Sounding Joy. Uh, we get to wrap that up, and we got a chance to hear from our children, which is always a blessing for all of us and, and for the parents that had probably no stress getting them on stage. Uh, we thank you for that, and uh, <laughs> we have a lot of fun. Here's what we are, we're going to do today. We're going to look at the book of Colossians. And so if you have your Bible, meet me in Colossians chapter 1. We'll start there. The bulk of our time, however, will be in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, and um, one of the guys will be able to get you a copy of a Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, please keep the copy in which we are handing out so that you can keep it yourself. It's our gift to you to read and understand and grow in the, the knowledge of our Lord. Um, couple things I want to be able to do is before uh, we get started is this is not the last Sunday of the year like Jim said we're going to have next Sunday and then uh, we're also going to have a time where we gather in a couple days here on Christmas Eve. There is going to be um, child care from 18 months to three-year-olds to three-year-olds and so 18 months to three-year-olds. If you come to the 5 a.m. the 5 o'clock if you come to 5 a.m. that's amazing because we don't even have one of those. The 5 p.m. service if you really really want to get your children in there get here really early um, and uh, that's the only opportunity you probably have because it's going to get filled up. People are inviting people. It'll be a lot of fun. But from me to you, I don't mind having a bunch of kids in here screaming and yelling during the sermon. In fact, they're more responsive than you guys are naturally. So it'd be a lot of fun <laughs> for, for me. And so please bring your families. Don't not come because you, you think you have a wild kid. You have a wild pastor. So we have a lot of fun together. Um, so we'll see you guys on Christmas Eve. But what I did want to say is um, as it's coming to the end of the year and then next Sunday I won't be here. Rumor has it there's a football game in San Diego that I may take my family to. So um, I wanted to personally thank you all as we kind of look back and we prayed about 2013. It has been a blessing for us and from me to you as your pastor. Thank you all for just being a part of redemption, for supporting redemption, serving each other, loving each other, and looking forward to what we have for next year. But just personally, thank you all. And to thank my staff, 
the men and women who lead this congregation, um, the elders that are here, David Blakeman that leads worship, Caitlin and her team, and Jessica, and it just goes on and on and on. Uh, we can't do this. Um, some of you guys who are new here for the first time, what happens is people come to our church and they look around and they go, oh, there's so many young people. That's why we had Deb there on the screen, so you can go, oh, who's she? She actually goes to another congregation, actually, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> which is true. We're like, come on over. Um, is, there, is it the sense of, like, we don't pull this off because of anything in us, and that's not like cliche. We do believe that God's spirit is constantly all over us, and God does an incredible work. So I just want to thank all of Redemption as we wrap up this year, and blessings to you all. All right? Cool. You guys responded as well as the last service. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. All right, so here's what we've been looking at. We've been looking at this season of Advent, and this has been a great season for, for many of us have taken intentionally to looking and remembering to the birth of Christ and also the second coming of Christ. And so week one, what we looked at is longing for a Savior whose power is, uh, is greater than sin. And then week two, we had Professor Goheen who came in and taught about how we're longing for the Savior whose salvation is as broad as sin. And then last week, Jim taught on how longing for a Savior who can reconcile all things and how we see the idolatrous things in our world, things that we've worshipped the creature rather than the creator, and now how God through the gospel is beginning to change that in Christ. And then today, to wrap it up, we're looking at how we're longing for a Savior who can create a new community. I mean, this community that God himself is forming and shaping um, in the work of Christ in a response to the gospel. It's the church. It's the people of God for all history who have looked to him and trusted in him for salvation. And so it's a great opportunity to say, what is this community and what does this community look like? So those of us in this room who are believers in Christ Jesus, what ought we to be doing as a part of this community? And then for those of you who are here who, who may or not believe in Christ Jesus, may go, okay, what is the church supposed to be about? And I believe Paul gives us that uh, today in our text. But before I go to the text, I want to read from a book that I've been reading for the past few years, well, since I had kids. It's probably the best book, the second best book next to the Bible. And it's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. Um, it's a children's Bible. And if you're a parent, you should own this. And if you're not a parent, you, you should own this as well, right? Um, every time we have babysitters that come over that read this to our kids, they're like, this is amazing. And I'm like, yeah, it is. You should read it. In fact, I brought my kids. It's all tattered because, like, you know, they're just reading their Bible all the time. <laughs> not because they're throwing it around and ripping it apart. So I'm going to read this story to you. I know you guys are not children, but today, you know what? Act like it. And then we're going to be able to read this story. This story in particular is something we do as a family's Advent is read through each story um, of the Jesus Storybook Bible in the Old Testament. It's 24 stories, and the last one is the last one that prepares you for Advent, meaning the coming of Christ. And so sit back, relax, and listen to a good story. <laughs> it comes from Nehemiah 8 and Malachi 1 and 3 and Ezra 7. You can go back and read the totality on your own. Have you ever been to a party that lasted a whole week? Or how about a sermon that went on all day? <laughs> Perhaps today. <laughs> well, that's what happened to God's people after they came home from being slaves. They had forgotten how God wanted, to, wanted them to live and who they were supposed to be. So Ezra and Nehemiah read them rules that God had given to Moses. But something odd happened. The longer the sermon went on, the sadder they all got. Why? Was the sermon boring? Not really. Was it strange, you see? 
As Ezra read the books and the book of rules, it worked like a mirror. It showed them what they were like and that they didn't see them. They saw themselves as God saw them. They didn't like what they saw. They saw that they had been living, they have not been living the way that God called them to live. They saw that they were cruel and selfish. We've blown it, they cried. Now God will punish us. They thought they knew what God was going to do, but they didn't. Of course, they might have picked up the clue from Ezra's name, which meant, help is here. Or even more stronger, from Nehemiah's name, because his name meant, God will wipe away our tears. And that, as you'll see, is just exactly what God was getting ready to do. Ezra looked at God's children, great, hot with tears, welling up in their eyes, streaming down their cheeks. He stopped the sermon mid-sentence and shut the book. We're going to have a party, he shouted. And so that's exactly what they did all week long. God wants us to be happy, Ezra said. All day they listened to stories about the wonderful things that God had done for his people and how, they, how he had made the world and how he had gave a special promise to Abraham and how he rescued them from slavery and how he spoke to Moses and showed them how to live and how he had brought them to a special land and how he'd rescue them no matter what, time after time, over and over again because of his never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. They remembered how God had always been and all through the years been loving his children, keeping his promises to Abraham, taking care of them, forgiving them, even when they disobeyed, even when they ran away from him, even when they thought that they didn't need him. And then God told his children something more. I can't stop loving you. You are my heart's treasure, but I lost you. And now I'm coming back for you. I am like the sun that gently shines on you, chasing away the darkness and the fear of death. And you'll be so happy. You'll be like little calves running around in an open field. I'm going to send my messenger, the promised one, the one who you've been waiting for, the rescuer. He's coming, so get ready. It's the story of Advent. Is that God's people constantly running, God constantly loving, God's people constantly disobeying, God constantly forgiving. That God's people not able to do what God has called them to do, so God himself putting on flesh to come in this world to be the rescuer, to be the redeemer, to be the pursuer, to be our rock, to be our Lord and Savior. It's a reason why we say it's joy to the world. Amen? That God has given us Christ. He's given us his son. This whole season, this whole world, this whole entire story is about Christ and how Christ put on flesh to redeem and create a new people. In fact, if you have your your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians, and it should be in Colossians chapter 1. And and what we've been looking at is the the five verses there in 15 through 20 of Colossians chapter 1, and we've been reading this. This is somewhat of a hymn that early Christians sang. And, And what we have here in verse 18 is our launch verse longing for this Savior who could create a new community. And here's what it says. And he is the head of the body, he meaning Jesus, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from, from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And so what Paul does is he says the head of the body, and the body meaning the church, is Jesus, meaning he is the source of life, he is preeminent in life, and it says that he is the firstborn from the dead, meaning he was the beginning of the new life. That when Christ was resurrected from the dead, that all who would follow him by faith would also be resurrected and that we now can live into this resurrected life. That though we stand in between the time of the first advent and the second advent, 
And though we stand in between the time of the kingdom of God being already, but not yet fully, that there's something good that we will always have in Christ Jesus. That he himself is taking a community in a broken, messed up world, and he's drawing all types of people from all walks of life to himself to look like him and to resemble him. And here's what he's doing with this community. When Christ got out of the tomb and he, and he ascended to the heavens, his work personally was done on this, wor- on this world. But he left a body of people. And he told us, the church, the people of God, to be witnesses to the world around. That the world would know what God is like by looking at this community. M- many of us have gone to a movie theater before and to watch a movie. And you've seen certain trailers of movies that are coming out. And they just give you a little piece of it. And if it's a good trailer, you go, man, I, I kind of want to go back and see that. Well, in the same way, the church is supposed to be like that movie trailer. And the way that we do politics, the way that we do business, the way that we do sports, family, relationships, work, whatever we do that we live collectively as a community centered around Christ who is our head, showing a preview of what God is going to do in the second advent. And the only way that happens is when it's centered around Jesus. And so what Paul gives for us this morning and I believe predominantly taking this, this verse 18 and saying what does this community look like is looking at chapter 3, uh, there's a few things that Paul calls us that we should be living into. One, as this new community, we should be living into our new affections. Two, we should be living into this new kingdom. And then three, we should be living into new practices. So new affections, a new kingdom, and new practices. Um, start with me in, verse, in chapter 3, verse 1. These new affections. It says, if, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things of this earth. Um, the first thing that Paul gives us is to seek the things that are above. If you look at verse 2 there, he's saying seek the things. That means set your eyes on Jesus. Here's not, Paul's not saying, just think about heaven all day long, and that's what he's saying, or look up in the sky. He's not saying that. When it says, seek the things that are above, he's saying something has already happened. That in um, chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, he says, he has delivered you from the domain of darkness, and he's transferred you in the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom you have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He's done the work already. That by nature and by choice, we found ourselves under the powers and idolatry of this world. And in Christ, in love, redeems us out of that into his kingdom. And he's talking to Christians. He goes, now, the way you grow as Christians is by looking to Christ and setting your eyes on him. And the more that you begin to set your eyes on him, the more you begin to look at him, the more you begin to pursue him, the greater your affections are for him. Every single man, every single woman, every single child in this room, we have affections towards something. And we are drawn towards things. And we will give ourselves to those things for multiple times. Oftentimes, we reduce Christianity into a decision. Make a decision for Christ, and we have that one-time decision, and we try to, like, hang on to our Christianity the rest of our life. What Paul is saying is, no, it's not a one-time decision. It's a relationship. And when you have a relationship with someone, the more you give yourself to that person, the greater your affections are. So it's not just a one-time decision. It'd be like um, if Holly and I got married six, six and a half years ago, and I walked down the aisle with her, or her dad walked around, took her hand, married her, and then I said, I do, right? And, and then after, and so I love her and all those things, right? And then I mean, four years later, she goes, hey, do you love me? It's like, listen, we already had this conversation four years ago, right? And then, to, hey, we already had this conversation. I was there. 
I mean, I was dressed up. I didn't even have a bow tie that day. And I mean, it was like a day that, you know, I loved you, right? It was like, no, not at all. She's my wife. I'm going to continue to pursue her. When it comes to setting our eyes on Christ and the things above, it's looking to who, who he is. And when you begin to see who God is, you begin to see who Christ is and also what he's doing in this world, what he's done in this world, and what he's going to do. And as a community, we begin to know how we ought to live in response to him because this is his world. And the, 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 the greater our affections are raised for him, the more we begin to live into his ways because we love him. And our whole life is seeking to please him, not to gain something from him. We already received everything we needed in Christ Jesus. It's the reason why we sing joy to the world. And so we live in response to this good news. And Paul says, seek these things. Seek these things. Um, part of us, part of the problem within Christianity is, uh, and especially even just like indict ourselves as a church that teaches through books of the Bible normally and teaches theology and teaches doctrine, all needed and beautiful things is that we begin to think that we are first beings, of, like thinking beings. And what I mean by that is, just like most education, is what we think is if we could just give more knowledge of doing the right thing, then people would actually do the right thing. If we teach more about what the right thing is, and then people would actually do more because of cognitive understanding. But what we read through the Bible, what we know from just humanity is we are actually creatures of love. We, whatever we love, that's what we're going to give ourselves to. We may not profess, I love this, but we will give ourselves to something. We will think our way after. We will learn things about things we love. You think about a man who pursues a woman. When he begins to pursue that woman, he, he thinks he loves her usually, and then he loves her, and he gets to know things about her. I mean, he gets to know who she is, where she works, sometimes in creeper ways, sometimes in normal ways, but he pursues her regardless, right? Because he loves this woman. And in the same way, whatever our loves are, that's what we will go to, and our affections will grow. And what Paul is saying, when you seek God, he's not talking first just about mind. That, that Christianity is not first just about doctrine and theology. It's about loving God. One of the smartest man, man to ever walk our earth was a man by the name of, uh, or our country was a man by the name of Jonathan Edwards. And here's what he says. He says, he that has doctrinal knowledge and speculation only without affections never is engaged in the business of religion. You see, when we love we will worship. And when we begin to fix our eyes upon Jesus, we begin to worship him. We begin to live like him. We begin to desire the things that he desires. And we as a community begin to fix our eyes upon Christ and grow collectively in our affections for Christ. Now we begin to look at the things in this world that are good things that are distorted. Because that's what idolatry is. Idolatry is only taking good things that God has created and said it's good that's now been distorted by sin, and then we take the perverted way of those things. And Paul lists those things. He says, now that you have your affections set on Christ, that you live into these new affections, and when you do that, now you can see things the way that they ought to be. And so here's what he says in, in chapter 3, verse 5. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. If you jump down to verse 8, he gives some more lists of things. He goes, but now you must put, away, put all away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And so he's saying, when your eyes are fixed upon Christ, when you see him, you see him through his word. You see who Christ is and what Christ is like. That you begin to love him, understanding first that he has loved you. Now when you begin to pursue one another and in creational good things, you see how they've been twisted. So he says, put to death these things. What Paul is saying is when your affections on Christ, 
when you see these things, you see them for what they are. So we as a community with our affections set on Christ, we begin to view money differently. We begin to view sex differently. We begin to view people differently. Hear me on this. Um, The first few things here in verse 5, they happen to do with sexual sin. It says sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires. He says there's a way that we ought to view sex in light of who God is. He's not saying abstain, and he's not saying overly indulge. He's just saying when it's perverted, and it's perverted since, we don't go there. That there's a new way in which we look at it. That, that, that sexual sin is something that he sees that will pervert a community that has his affections on Christ. But then he goes from there, this on how we look at our money. And so here, he goes on here, and continuing in verse 5, and he says, um, also, after evil desire and covetousness. Coveting is saying that you want more. Like, it's just saying that you want more than what you have. You look at other people's stuff, and you go, I want more, I want more, I want more. And he goes, no, that shouldn't be. You go, I want more, I want more. And the good news is that we don't live in a, in a culture or society that acts like that. <laughs> Like, it's all of us, right? We want more. And he's saying, no, 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 no. It's not that stuff is bad, and it's not even bad with one things, but there is something that when it's perverted, that we want more, and we're never satisfied. It's like we have this empty hole, and no matter what it is that we're consuming, we're just consuming more and more of it. He goes, no. You see, when you understand that your affection's upon him, you understand that you are seated with Christ Jesus in the heavenly places, as he says in the beginning of chapter 3. You understand that in this new community he's created, your affections are with him. Now you view these things and you say, no, the money that I have in my pocket is not for me just to feed myself and stuff myself, but it's actually how I can steward and bless other people. And everything that I have is a gift from God to be a blessing to others. And so we view sex differently. We view money differently. And then lastly, we view others differently. If you look at verse 8, the majority of this list of sins that he has here are, are how we view each other. It says, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the practices, uh, put off the old self with its practices. Um, he's saying, like, no one is below you. Like, no one is below you. No one is below you. Guys, I, I, can't, I can't stress this enough, is that if there should be a group of people in the world that should be the most humble people, it ought to be people who say they believe in Jesus. Because at the very essence of Christianity, it says that you were so bad that the God of this universe had to put on flesh in order for that flesh to literally be ripped apart, that his blood may be shed, in order for you to be made right with him. And that the only way that you were actually made right with God is by grace, nothing that you've ever done, but by his sheer grace and love. And that's how you become right with God, meaning it's completely up to him and what he's done. So if that is true and what a Christian professes, then there's no way that Christians should be arrogant. There's no way that we should look down upon people. There's no way that we should, we should try to think that we are above people because of their political choices, because of their sexual choices, because of their orientation, because of any of those things. Though, though we disagree, there's no way that we should have a, a position that we look at people and go, I'm going to treat you as a subhuman. Because the essence of our gospel is that God himself put on flesh humbly to create a community. And this community doesn't treat people like crap, right? That, that's, this is what Paul is saying. You don't lie to one another. You don't get wrathful with people, there's not malice there, there's not slandering, there shouldn't be a bunch of gossiping, which, which sadly, I would say, that's in our culture. No, no, that's in our church. 
So when you set your eyes on, on who God is, that he's center, it's not about how big of a house you can have or how good you can make things or how much good products you can produce. It is around him and everything flows from there. The way you view sex, the way you view money, and the way you view er, er, others is completely as a result of your affections being on Christ and seeing how much he has loved you and what he has done on your ha- behalf. Amen? So, so, so if you want something practical, here you go. Um, to grow in your affections for Jesus, this is what you should do. Write down every single thing that depletes and takes away from your affections for Christ. The things, the activities, the thoughts, the lack of things that you have in your life. You write those things down, and whatever those things are that deplete your affections for Christ, write those things down, and then get rid of those things. These are the things I need to begin doing less of. And then have another list, and then write down what are the things, reading God's word, praying, being with people, fellowshipping, all of these things that, that grow your affections for Christ, meditating on his word. Write all those things down and do more of those things. Because when that happens collectively as a church, then we begin to look like the community in which Christ died for and is gathering and is living for, that his spirit is within. And it starts first with living into these affections. I love that Paul, before he says put away or stop doing, he goes, this is who you are in Christ. He's creating the new community. Live into these affections. Now, that's not the only thing Paul has for us, to live into these affections, but it's to live into the new uh, kingdom meaning to live into this new kingdom and the kingdom of realities that Christ has bought. Now, what Paul begins to say here, starting in verse 10, is that there's kind of like this makeover that's starting to happen. And our culture, we love makeovers. Like, we love TV shows that, like, you know, the, the extreme home makeover shows, right? The guy's all excited, move that bus! And, like, the bus is, everyone's crying, like, the kid's running, wow, I didn't even have a room, now I have 20 rooms, right? And it's like, you know, the show, we love makeovers. You just look at the sales of, like, what happens in cosmetic and makeup company, how much money they make. And I'm not saying those things are wrong. Um, how many of you guys have gym memberships, and how many of you guys will get more gym memberships in about a week or so, right, and we'll get it going, because everyone wants to look good. It's okay. You're putting makeup on. You're in the gym, working on your fitness, right? You're just doing whatever it is that you can do. We love, like, here's the before, and then here's the after, right? Um, I, I have a buddy of mine who does um, uh, physical training back in California, you guys don't know, so don't worry about it, and he put a picture of before of one of his clients, and he put after, and I called him, and I said, bro, I see no difference. Like, that's not good for business, right? <laughs> Christ, <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? I'm never working out there. <laughs> it's like, this is what I was like before. This is what I'm like now. It's like, <laughs> Christ doesn't do that. He doesn't. He takes a whole lot of befores, and he knows the end goal for the afters. That he takes no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, set your affections upon him, and he says, now come into my new kingdom and live into my new kingdom. And he begins this makeover. That everything we begin to do as a community collective, collectively is like Jesus. Because we want to look to him. We want to look like him. And so he begins to do the work. This is an act of his grace in our life. It's his grace that we're allowed to set our affections upon him. It's his grace that saves us, and it's a grace that ushers into this kingdom and how we can live into this kingdom. And there's a few ways that we begin to look like Jesus here. First, first thing is, um, when it comes to this new kingdom, living into this affections and living into the kingdom, we begin to look like Jesus. Look at verse 10 with me. It says, And we have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of the creator. Meaning we begin to look like Jesus. And I love the word there, it's being renewed. I mean, there's, there's a process that's happening. And it's a quality. 
Meaning the life of a Christian, the life of the church, is something that God is constantly moving closer and toward who Christ is. And that should give us a great deal of comfort. And especially for some of us who look at people and go, man, they say they love Jesus, but there's no growth. They're not doing this and they're not doing that. Hey, 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 Jesus grows his church. And the spirit grows his church. All you got to do is look at yourself. And I know I can look at the 31-year-old me and then look at the 28-year-old me and look at the 24-year-old me and go, the 24-year-old me, when I was 24, I thought I was walking really strong with the Lord. And then I became 25, and I'm like, I'm not sure if he was a Christian, right? <laughs> and then the, the more and more God even does, begins to renew even the believer, he begins to do it to the church. And we can trust that God, by his spirit, is continuing to mature us and continuing to do some incredible things in us. Just a practical thing. Um, our children's play, this is like my favorite one so far since I've been here. And someone goes, wow, is this different than all the other ones? It's like, no, I think our kids are getting older now and they can read. And so it's getting a little better, right? <laughs> it's like it's getting better, right? Pretty soon, who knows what we're going to have next year, right? Jesus, no, no, let me stop. And so there, there's, there's, there's a sense where we begin to look like Jesus. Second thing is we begin to fellowship like Jesus. So my favorite text in scripture here. Verse 11 says, here there was not Greek and Jews, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, sanctum, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So not only begin to look like Jesus through grace, but we begin to fellowship like Jesus. Like if you ever wanted to know what the kingdom of God is like, all you have to do is look at the king. And look at his attributes. Look at the way he acted. Look at the people Jesus was around and he interacted with. Religious and irreligious, poor and rich. He, he acted with all types of people. And then he's, isn't it just interesting that now this new kingdom would begin to live into a community, a new kingdom, where people are different. It says there's Jew or Greek, and we can translate it. We can go there, here, there's neither, there's neither Latino or black or white, and there's neither uptown or downtown, history or jog, light beer or dark beer, whatever. He says, in Christ Jesus, right? In Christ Jesus, there's everything. Meaning no matter where you come from, no matter what side of the track, it says what matters first is that you're a Christian, Meaning, your ethnicity, it is amazing and God-given. But what matters most is that you're a Christian in Christ. You're a political party. Do what you need to do. But what matters most is Jesus. No matter what you do, whatever preferences you have, what matters most is Jesus. So when it comes to the church, what we will major on is Jesus and who he is. We begin to look like him and fellowship like him. Amen? No matter where you come from, what matters here is Christ. Look like him, fellowship like him. And another thing we begin to in this makeover is that we begin to love and serve like Jesus. Um, my, my good friend, and you guys know Tyler Johnson, um, I heard him say this several times, and I love it every time he says it. It says, in the kingdom of God, people are always wondering, how do we live into the kingdom reality? How do we live out this movie trailer? And one of the things he said is, what happens is when we think about the new heavens and earth, what we normally talk about oftentimes is how good food would taste and how fast I can run and how in shape I will be. And, you know, all of these things that we can't wait for. He goes, good things. He goes, but if the kingdom really is about the king, let's look at G what Jesus was like. And the thing that we look at the most is that he was a servant and he was a lover. And, and Mark, he says that the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life for many. And he was a lover. He says, maybe in the new heavens and new earth, it's not that we have the capacity to get more stuff. Maybe in the new heavens and the new earth, we have the capacity to serve more and to love deeper. And so if we want to know um, in response to giving ourselves to the Lord and our affections being raised for him and living into the kingdom and looking like Jesus, if we want to practice that now and to be a trailer to the world around us, 
we can practice that by just loving more and serving more. And, and, and Paul gives us this list. Verse 12, he says, well, put on then, this has the imagery of clothes, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness. And meekness, guys, meekness is not weakness. Sometimes we read that word and we think it's a weak word. Meekness in itself is to have the ability and desire to take on the suffering of somebody else's sins. Um, take on the pain of somebody else's sins, which is just like Christ. Uh, patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against one another, forgiving one another, as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmonies. It's like you got this bracelet of love, and on it is compassionate hearts, meekness. It says, be ready to forgive in the same way the Lord forgiving you. And forgiveness is not something that's easy, because when God forgave us in Christ, that wasn't easy. He was nailed to a cross, and he bled for us. So when it comes to the family of God being able to forgive one another and forgive others, we got to understand that forgiveness, first and foremost, is looking to Christ and saying, how did he forgive me? He chose to treat me not like my sins deserved. And the way that he chose to do that was to bear the pain. And so when people begin to get in community life with one another and they go, oh, it was hard. This person said this and this person did this. Hey, that's humans. If God came into this world and said, you know what, it was hard, God, I came. And guess what? They tried to kill me. It's like, yeah. Um, when it comes to this community, it's, it's how we treat one another. And it's all bind with love. And the way that we are leaning into or living into this community is, one, having our affections on Christ. And then realizing there's a makeover happening in our lives by the Holy Spirit. And we lean into that by being like and looking like and desiring to act like Jesus in the way that he lives, the way that he serves, and the way that he loves. Amen? The, the, the last thing that we have here is not only living into these new affections and living into the new kingdom, but it's living into the new practices that we have, um, living into the new practices. Now, there is uh, a lot of research that goes on how people develop habits. And in fact, one of the best books that I read this year was on how people form habits. I'm really into that for some reason. Um, but I also believe that the Bible's in there, uh, into it, um, mainly because the Bible gives us all these things to do. In fact, when you read through the, the Bible, Genesis, Revelation, you see the word remember over and over again. There's certain things that we have. And so when it comes to living into God's kingdom and having affections on him and our affections on him, that there's certain things that we need to have habits as a community as we are to be a light to the world around us. These things enforce things as we live for the Lord. Some of you guys call them spiritual disciplines. Some of you call them spiritual rhythms. But we need to have these practices. And I believe throughout the book of Colossians, Paul gives us to them. Like, in fact, one of the things that you will read is that both, um, both traditional philosophical treatment as well as even modern psychology would agree that many people have what is called automatic habits. Meaning there's things that you do that are automatic. They're being shaped by something that you have no idea, but you do them. And there's intentional habits. Maybe somewhere you started doing something, you just do it now. And it's probably really good for us, you, and everybody else, right? Like, you get up in the morning, you brush your teeth. That, man... That's amazing, right? But that's something that you have habits. And because when it comes to a community, there's certain things that we have to have. And what they agree on is that if you're going to have these intentional habits, the way that they're formed is by practices. And it's interesting when you read throughout the scripture, God has constantly given us these practices. And so there's six practices I have that we'll race through uh, tonight and then show you exactly what this looks like. Um, the first one is baptism and sacraments. If you just turn to chapter 2. Chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Here's what Paul says. 
He says, in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, putting, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through the faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Baptism in itself is just your new identity. And you say, okay, are we supposed to repeat? Is this a practice? Should we keep getting baptized? Is that what you guys do here on um, Sunday again and again? No. Baptism is just new identity. What we do need to do is be reminded of our new identity. It is amazing to me how many people are sheepish about being Christians, right? Meaning like, I don't want to talk about Jesus, you know, my friends are around. It's like, dude, that dude died for you, right? I mean, it's like, you would talk about anybody else. It's not like you have to be on the street corner saying Jesus, but never be ashamed of that, right? It's reminding you, you have a new identity. And so you can take baptism and the sacraments. This is something we have to practice. We baptize new Christians, and then we take the sacraments of communion every single week here. Because what we're doing is we're saying we trust in Christ. He is the center of our life. We live into his kingdom. And so the reason why we discourage those of you who are not Christians to to take communion is not because we don't want you to have our bread and our cheap wine, right? It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with saying just know we want you to take it. Just know when you take communion, what you're acknowledging is that you are part of God's family and that Christ is your Lord and Savior, and we would love that because God would love that. So the angels rejoice. So the first thing is baptism. The second thing that we have is worship through singing. Turn back to uh, chapter 3, verses 16. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And you say, well, how did this get on the list? Um, it's on the Bible, right? Singing is massively important for shaping a community in which Christ is our head. People, are, uh, people of God have always sang. One of the things I got a chance to do a couple years ago was go through from the very beginning to the end of the Bible and look at how much singing is happening. That people are in prison, they start singing. Their church gathers, they start singing. The verse that was our lunch verse, chapter, um, chapter 1, 15 through 20, was a hymn. That people sing all the time. That singing is something is massively important. And some of you go, but I can't sing. It doesn't matter. I told you, neither can I. It's not about your ability to sing. It's the fact that God's given you a song. And here's what we have in churches, right? Let's just go after it. Churches go, oh, I don't like the music. I don't like this, I don't like what this, this person does this. I don't like this. It's like, all right, hopefully you've been listening to our consumerism message. That you just can't go, well, I don't like this, I don't like that. I get it, whatever. I grew up in a black church with the choir with black singers. You think I get that every week? Right? <laughs> so here's the deal. <laughs> Other than Spotify. What, what, you, <laughs> what you have is just going, we sing. It doesn't matter about the preference or the style because that makes it about you. What he's saying is, let the word of Christ dwell in you. Let the words be about Christ. And so here's the one thing I can promise you. You will always have words that point you to Jesus. And so we sing collectively. It's something that the people of God have done. Third thing we have is devotion to prayer. If you look at chapter 4, verse 2, it says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. I can't stress this enough. Get on your knees and pray. Grab a hand with somebody and pray. Just, just pray. If there's anything we need as a church more is prayer. Anything. We don't need to read more books. We don't, just pray. Just watch what the Spirit would do. The Lord says, if my people would pray. Just watch. Test them in it. Trust them in it. And see what he does. Prayer. And the fourth thing is marriage and parenting. Now, someone said, hey, what about singleness? Listen, singleness is amazing. And I think that's something that God calls people to. Um, in particular, in this deal, just saying right now, if you want to be countercultural as a community we have, um, our culture, to be counterculture sometimes, is almost to like be married and then stay married 
And it's interesting that in chapter, chapter 3, Paul begins to give instructions about this is what a wife does, this is what a husband does. And then he talks about parenting. This is what you do to your kids. You raise them, you love them, you discipline them. Because you know what? As a culture, what we don't, what we just lack? Marriage and parenting. And I think they go hand in hand, guys. Your kids need to see you love your wife and the wife love her husband, and they need to be disciplined, and they need to be loved. And it's not saying we're going to raise perfect children. Are you kidding me? Our kids are not perfect. They don't do everything right. And we just talked about these kids that came here. Those kids look amazing, and they're cute. And I'm sure their parents probably had to choke them just to get them on stage today. <laughs> right? <laughs> I know we did. <laughs> the only reason I have this bow tie is Holly wanted Noah to look nice to take some pictures. And I said, buddy, I promise you, if you guys wear your, tie, your bow ties, daddy will too. So I hide up my end of the deal. They show up, and they have, like, basketball jerseys on or something like that. And I'm like, Holly, what happened? She goes, I choked them. It didn't work, right? And so there's, <laughs> that's a joke. Parenting. <laughs> Some of you are like, oh, right, choke your, no. <laughs> In all honesty, marriage and parenting, guys, it is massively important. Look at the world around us, and, and, and we could be an example of saying, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. The fifth thing is vocation. Paul lets us know how we ought to work. And, and he says that the way that we work is not for a paycheck. The reason why we work is, is not so that people can see how hard workers we are. In fact, what he says is we don't do it to please people. We do it to please him because we understand whose we are. And that God gives us a calling, not just to himself, but he gives him a calling into whatever vocation he has us in. Whether we're in school and we're training for a vocation, whether we have a part-time job, whether we're stay-at-home moms, whether we own the industry, or we work for somebody else, whatever it may be, we are doing it for the Lord. That is an ethic um, that God has given us to say, this is how you should work. There's no way in cutting corners and saying, I gotta leave early because I got a Bible study. Don't ever say, I gotta cut out because I gotta go to church. Like, really? You think your boss is going like, huh, I really love Jesus now, right? No, do your job and do it faithfully. And so baptism, worship through singing, devotion to prayer, marriage and parenting, uh, vocation. And then lastly, if you turn back to chapter 1, gospel-centered teaching. Chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, him we proclaim one and everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And what it means is this, this, this Bible, this word of God, is that we look to it not just to get things that we need to do, but we look to it because it points to Jesus. That again and again and again, we center our lives around Jesus. We look to him, and therefore our affections are raised for him continually. We look to him so that we can live into his kingdom and we look to him that these practices that we continue to do collectively as people, praying with one another, forgiving one another, sharing with one another, helping people raise kids, loving them, caring for them as a community, that we begin to show the world what Christ is like and what he's doing in this world. Amen? Advent is about Jesus. This Bible is about Jesus. And the world is about Jesus. Therefore, we're always going to be about Jesus.